Welcome to the Simply Financial Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. So I have uh, Dean Nicholson with me today, a returning guest. Uh, he's probably the person that's been on the show the most over the years because he is a retired financial advisor. Uh, he's an economist. He and I worked closely together in the lead up to his retirement. In fact, you, uh, regular listeners probably know that um, I took over his practice uh, when he retired. We've continued over these last couple of years to keep in touch, to collaborate. We swap ideas. Sometimes we get on together and we record our conversations. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, the title of today's discussion is A Look Ahead to 2021 with Dean Nicholson. So Dean, I appreciate you uh, taking some time to kick around some ideas with me. Well, no, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to sh share ideas with you. I, I miss our conversations over coffee in the office. So yeah, no it's doubt. have to make do. <laughs> no doubt. So I was thinking about this today and I had a hectic day today, but kind of like where to start the conversation. So just to set the stage, you know, 2020 was an unbelievably difficult year uh, in many ways. Some people fared much better than others, but I think in general, it was a tough year to say the least. The market though, after having an awful beginning to the year, had an incredible rally, especially the second half of the year or really from the second quarter on, uh, from the spring on. And it gained momentum and finished the year very strong. Fourth quarter, 2020, saw some terrific returns in the markets. Tremendous amount of optimism. So maybe we could start there because there's a, a term out there that I've, I've gravitated to, uh, Tina, like uh, the female name Tina, which stands for there is no alternative. So I'm curious on your thoughts about Tina because it seems to me, Dean, that in a zero interest rate environment like we're in, where if you invest in US treasuries for 10 years, you might get 0.5 or 0.75%. Mm -hmm. And if you have money in the bank, you're lucky to get a quarter point in interest, that a certain amount of money is flowing to the stock market because there is no alternative, the TINA effect. Uh, what do you think about that TINA impact on the market? Any thoughts? Well, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Uh, there's no place else to put your money. So you're, you're being forced into the market. Now, there's some difficulty there because there are some people in the market that really shouldn't be there. They're not trained investors. They don't have the long-term uh, view that they should have. And they get in and out because of emotion. So you know, Trump, Trump has paid a political price for not closing down the economy. I give him credit for that. So I'm still optimistic about what's going to occur in the future. But that being said, we don't know what's going to happen. Sure. Because if you think about it, in, in a generation ago, two generations ago, you could take, say, a million dollars. I'm just using that as a round number. You could take a million dollars, put it in the bank, and probably get, let's say, a 6% interest rate. That would spin off $60,000 of income each year. With FDIC insurance, the million dollars protected, your principal safe, and just take the $60,000 a year in income. And I think if you could do that today, a lot of people, given the uncertainty and risks and just turmoil that we're going through 
largely related to the pandemic, but you know, other political and socioeconomic things too. I think a lot of people would do that. The trouble is you can't do that. There's nothing even really close to doing that. So a lot of folks are ending up in the stock market and staying in the stock market because there's not a lot of, there's no alternative. Again, the Tina effect. So uh, I don't know if that'll ever change. Uh, it's really incredible. I think about Dean, I'm 50 now. I think about my grandparents who are Italian immigrants and uh, they've passed on some time ago. But I think about my grandfather, like if he came back and saw where interest rates were, his jaw would drop. I mean, it's just, I think really just unbelievable. Uh, and it's having a tremendous impact in the economy with retirees, with businesses. And I think it's really helping the stock market because it's sort of cornering the market on investments. Let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about the incoming Biden administration. I know um, my practice, like your practice, you know, I deal with clients from all different viewpoints. And I take pride in the fact that I have lots of conversations with clients that think differently than I do politically and vote differently than I do more often than not. But we get along, we respect one another, we try and make good decisions so <laughs> that we could help them to their financial goals. But I don't know what your view is. Let me ask you this question in my build up to the other question is, you used to say in business that you, you shouldn't talk about religion and politics, right? <laughs> Definitely. And I think I started in the business in 1992. And I believe that I abided by that up until the financial crisis in 2007, 2008. But I think since then, it's almost impossible to talk about clients' money and investments and the economy without talking about what's happening with our politicians in Washington, because it's so integral to the performance of the economy and in turn the stock market. So you really can't avoid having conversations about it. Would you, would you say that's a fair way to look at things? Uh, definitely. I think as an economist, uh, we look at the gross national product as kind of a precursor to what's going to happen in the stock market. Now, when the Republicans are in play, or in power, I should say, basically the street components of the gross national product, consumer spending, business investment, and governmental spending. Now, when Republicans are in power, you know you're going to have a strong defense, you're going to have strong business, and you're not going to have wealth transfers that can somewhat, sometimes help consumer spending, but both parties will try to keep consumer spending up. So the basic difference between the Republican and the Democratic presidential approach generally is Democrats will have more consumer spending and governmental spending, not so much on defense, big difference, but governmental spending of, and in somewhat increased taxes, but they still will protect the consumer spending. So the big difference is Republicans, you look at defense and business investment, and Democrats, you look at basic overall consumer spending and not so much defense and not so much corporate benefits. Good. But they both are going to be similar. I did some research. The economy is done just as well on the Democrats as it has in Republicans. So as an economist, I don't care who spends the money or how they spend it as long as they spend it. So with the Biden, thank you for that. With the Biden administration coming in, 
it seems to me, at least based on the recent past, that uh, presidents have been able to get a signature legislation passed in the first two years. So I'm thinking about President Obama, who, after quite a bit of political wrangling, managed to pass the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. And President Trump, within his first two years, was able to get a sizable tax package signed into law that revamped both corporate and personal taxes. So I'm thinking about President Biden, or he's soon to be president, because as of this recording, he hasn't been sworn in yet. What is his signature legislation going to do? He has political capital. He's likely, and we're recording this just after the Georgia runoff elections. So it appears by all accounts that the Democrats will have control of the House and the Senate, albeit with slim majorities. And we're going to have President Biden looking to make his mark. Where do you think he might plant his flag, use some of his political capital? What might he try and get done legislatively? What do you think? Legislatively, I think green energy is where he's going to try to go to increase clean energy through solar or whatever is versus coal. I think that's where he's going to focus. First of all, he has to get everyone vaccinated. So he's going to be distracted for at least a year just trying to get the vaccines in the right place without being spoiled and getting them out, getting them out there. But I can't think of, he's not going to increase corporate taxes immediately. He couldn't because they're already under threat because of COVID. And he's smart enough, at least I hope he is, that basically that's not the way to go. Maybe down the road, but I think it's green energy. It's not going to be corporate taxation. That's going to be his big play. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you. I know uh, certain elements of the Democratic Party and, and sometimes uh, President Biden himself, or, you know, I'm going to call him President Biden, but technically he's not president as of this recording. You know, we talked about uh, undoing some or all of the tax law that was passed during Donald Trump's early days. But I, I would tend to agree with you that that's not where um, they will go, at least not first. I've been hoping, and I'd like your thoughts on this, I've been hoping that he would look to do a stimulative infrastructure package, which might actually be able to incorporate some clean energy or new green deal type stuff. But I think from a political standpoint, it would be a savvy move because if you want to do something that is unifying and try and cut down on some of the divisiveness that we've seen politically over the last bunch of years, regardless who you believe is at fault, an infrastructure bill would draw a lot of support from both Republicans in the House and the Senate. But I think also just mainstream Americans, they could appreciate what an infrastructure bill is. It makes sense. It's tangible. It's easy to understand. And it would possibly be good for the economy, good for jobs. And I think it might be something that could be achieved without the all-out political battle we saw with the Affordable Care Act back in the early days of President Obama's administration. I would be pleased with that. What, what do you think? Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Now I was talking about spending less with defense. Well, that's where the yes. money should be spent in infrastructure. And it's a perfect way to do it. And it kind of encapsulates green green energy as well, because we really have to rebuild a lot of the bridges and tunnels and railroad tracks and all that. So I couldn't agree with him more. It's a very smart thing that he should do 
I hope you don't. So if you had to handicap it, I don't think you're in touch with the Biden administration. But um, if you had to handicap it, what do you what do you think the chances are that that's what um, direction he goes in? I think he's going to do that because he has a lot of experience. You know, the his choice for you know Federal Reserve Chairman Yellen, she knows what she's doing, and she she's going to stimulate the economy. And I think she's going to get a, a lot of input, and I think she definitely is going to favor. Yeah, she'll be, uh, she's the former federal chair, uh, federal yep. reserve chair, and she'll be his secretary yep. of the treasury. Yeah, that's what I hope happens. I, I would like to see that. And it would be, um, you know, the Republicans will push back probably on some of the clean energy aspects of it. But uh, there are other aspects, I think, that you'd get wide bipartisan support. And not just the politicians, I think Main Street Americans, even those that did not vote for him, uh, would would find that very pleasing. So I, I, I would, if he calls me, that's the advice I'll give him, but mm -hmm. I, I hardly think he'll call me. So we'll have to see what <laughs> happens. Where do you think with your economic background, the status of this economic recovery, because the economy clearly has recovered after getting wobbled back in February and March with the pandemic, the unprecedented nature of it, all the fear that surrounded that, what was going to happen to the country, to each individual families. I mean, it was, it was a very frightening time, but the U.S. economy adjusted. Businesses are nimble in the U.S. It's part of the uh, dynamic aspect of the U.S. economy that makes it the envy of the world is businesses were, were able to adjust on the fly, large and small, and negotiate through this, by and large, very good. You and I know, Dean, and listeners know some industries like entertainment and travel. I mean, they've gotten hammered pretty good, but by and large, businesses came through this pretty good. And we've had this economic recovery, which has been the backdrop on why the market has recovered so strongly. But where do you think we are in the state of recovery as we move into 2021, still plagued by the pandemic? Well, part of it depends on how soon and how quickly they get the vaccines out. That's the big unknown. If they do that in a reasonable, efficient way, then I think you, you're going to have strong economic performance. Also, I'd like to see more unemployment benefits versus outright gifts of, of a couple thousand dollars to increase the unemployment compensation that will help it too. But I, I think that we have a strong economy. We have one of the strongest economies in the world. And so money's going to flow here. Interest rates as low as they are are higher than almost anywhere else in the world. So money's going to come here. So people are going to be looking, and foreigners are going to be looking for places to invest in the U.S. So still going to be a, a strong economy. I don't, I'm not moving my money to New Zealand or Australia. I'm leaving it right here because we're the strongest economy in the world. And I think it's going to continue to be so. Yeah, and I'll add on to that. A lot of people that live in, say, New Zealand or Australia and other parts of the world, uh, they want to bring their money to the U.S. because right. as many flaws as we have and problems that we have, and we have many, most countries in the world would swap their problems for ours in a second if they could. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm a little concerned about the economic recovery. And I want to get your thoughts on this. I am optimistic. I believe that U.S. businesses will come through this okay. There's going to be a lot of change. Some businesses will fail. 
Some industries will get smaller and maybe become somewhat inconsequential, but other companies and industries will emerge. It's the vibrancy of the U.S. economic system. But what concerns me, Dean, is that seems like we've come awfully far, awfully fast, and have shrugged off a lot of worrisome news that might cause some difficulties down the line. Because for months now, it seems like the market is not concerned at all about the pandemic. And again, I'm optimistic mid and long term, but is it possible the market's gotten a little bit ahead of itself with its optimism? I think so. And I think part of that is you have people that are in the market that are not experienced investors and they're acting on emotion. And they're looking at the fact that there is a vaccine and they're forgetting about everything else. You're right, there's a lot of things that have to be carefully considered. The strength of our industrial output is also important, which is improving by the way. But you're right, the market's always looking forward, but I think you have to look forward without any emotion and look at the facts and, and, and look at where we think we're going. Social media is important. It's gonna to continue to be important. Zoom is gonna continue. I mean, even though it's gone up like 100% in the past year, so, but still, the U.S. is a place to be because of interest rates and basically the flow of capital is more efficient here than anywhere else in the world. So I'm still very optimistic about stocks. I'm not taking any, any money out of the stock market myself. None. Just you, could, you could see a plausible scenario, though, where the market has had this intense optimism for months now and has come awfully far, awfully fast. It could kind of mark time for a while to kind of let some of the actual details of the optimism kind of come into play. Like there's been optimism about the vaccine and it's beginning to get rolled out, but it really hasn't had an impact. The numbers are still kind of small. So is it plausible that the market might just mark time for a while, letting some of the things that it is optimistic about actually come to fruition. I think you're right. And I think that's why, you know, professional investment advice is extremely important in times like this, because you're going to have to watch it, see what the deleterious effect is going to be on military spending as, as versus other types of spending. And some of the stocks have done so, so well because of the COVID thing. We have to look at how many are going to be sustainable in the future, which ones are have gone up so fast and so so much, they can be burnt out when COVID goes away. So that's when, you know, you and your balanced portfolios is definitely the way to go because there are going to be a lot of disappointments, right? Because you, you, you can't put your money in the wrong place. You still have to be aware of asset allocation and, you know, your risk tolerance. So, so I, I think, cause we've, we've talked, um, uh, when it's not recording, you don't believe we're in a bubble bubble, correct? No, no, not at all. There's no reason. Neither do I. No. But let me ask you this. Back in 1999, uh, former, well, he was the federal chairman at the time, Alan Greenspan coined what has become a fairly famous line about irrational exuberance. Do you think that that term has any application on where we are today looking ahead to 2021? Yes. If you look at the price to earnings ratios, on some of these high-flying stocks, some of that are involved with electric vehicles. Yeah. And, you know, you got to be careful because, right. you know, you, you have to use more than just 
price to earnings ratios and betas and all the other parts right. put together a portfolio. You got to be careful. Though. All right. Somebody so you, ag you agree with me that, and I'm not saying the party is over and things are about to be disastrous, but, but it does seem to me that I don't believe we're in a bubble, at least not yet. And we probably won't even get there, but, but the term irrational exuberance can be a cautionary tale because when Alan Greenspan said that back in the late nineties, may not have been 1999, but he said that in the late nineties, you know, we were in a high flying at that time, a tech market with the uh, internet fast becoming an important part of our lives. But that led to what is coined the tech wreck in 2000, which was followed by the aftermath of 9-11 in 2001. And it led to several difficult years for the market and investors who got on to these high flying investments late in the game, you know, they had a many, many years before they would break even. And I, I'm not saying it's an exact replica now of then, but it, it, there's a little bit of a rhyming there. And it's, it's something that I want to watch this irrational exuberance. And you mentioned price to earnings ratio. You know, when you look at the major indexes, the Dow, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, you know, valuations are always in a range. But they're at the upper end. The valuations are stretched now. And there are times when that leads to um, problems because you, you can't necessarily have stretched valuations in perpetuity. I agree with you more. Yeah. And I think that you really have to look at, you know, even outside the U.S. investing as a hedge against, if, if you're concerned about that, then as part of your asset allocation, you should be looking at some of the overseas investment because Brexit is, is finally occurred. So there's gonna be something in play there and watch that carefully. And if anything else, just to cover yourself against this extravagant uh, exuberation is, is to diversify a little bit outside the US, a little bit, not a lot, a little bit. Sure, I mean, as part of, uh, you know, this is not specific investment advice listeners, we're just talking in generalities is, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in having a diversified portfolio that incorporates a lot of different investments, investment strategies and types of investments into the mix. Again, we're not trying to give specific individualized advice here, but um, let's just talk about some of, uh, some of the risks because we're optimistic and hopeful and believe in the US economy. It's one of the things that you and I have in common is this built-in optimism. But let's talk a little bit about some of the risks that we wanna watch for this year. And I think the, the biggest one, duh, is how the struggle goes as we try and wrestle the virus. You know, At the beginning of 2021, there's reason for optimism with the rollout of the vaccine which in the early days of January, 2021 is, you know, a little slower. It'll probably pick up steam, but we also have this other variation of the virus that came over from Europe. That's supposed to be a nastier version of the virus on a scale of one to 10, looking at Dean, what you think might cause a mess for the economy of the market in 2021, 10 being it's a huge risk and one being it's not a risk at all. Where do you think the risk surrounding the pandemic upsetting the apple cart in terms of this economic recovery that we seem to be in 
And I'll add, we don't only seem to be in it, the market seems to believe we're going to be in it for a while and is expecting some really good economic growth that's sustainable for a while. How much risk do you think there is that the pandemic upends that this year? Well, if they don't get that vaccine out efficiently, you're up in the sevens, all right? That that will cause a really a serious you know, correction, no doubt about it. But if they do it reasonably efficient, I wouldn't worry about it too much. What I'd really worry about is that if people need income, if any of your clients need income, you got to plan not to be guaranteed to sell any winners to try to provide that income during such uncertainty, because you don't know what they're going to do with this vaccine. Hopefully, yes. you're optimistic, but you know, they should be talking to you if they need income to make sure they know where it's coming from, not just trying to cherry pick their winners and, and sell them, because I wouldn't count on that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the Tina effect earlier. I mean, planning for income is is a specialty of ours here at Elliott Wealth Management. We spend a lot of time working on that issue because we have so many pre-retirees and retirees. But man, it's a difficult thing compared to years past because in a 0% interest rate environment, any money allocated to traditional safe havens yields so much less than it has over the vast majority of my career and even longer. It's, It's really a tricky proposition. I know some of your old clients that I work with and some of my other clients are worried about the Biden administration ruining everything. And let me just preface this by saying I had the same conversations at the beginning of the Trump administration. And it turned out I'm going to poison the well and lead you to what I think you're going to say. But, uh, but you know, I had the same conversation with people that were not pleased that Donald Trump was elected back in 2016. And you go back even farther, I uh, had the same conversation when President Obama was elected. Because sometimes when people, uh, people vote a certain way and their person doesn't get in, in this case, the president, um, they get really negative and really pessimistic. What do you think are the risks? Forget the politics, but what do you think the risks are that because Joe Biden uh, becomes the president in 2021, what are the risks for the market? If you had to score it, I think you're like me, you'd score it kind of low, right? Yeah, I'd say it's a one and a two. Capitalism works. As long as we have a capitalistic society, we're going to do fine. It doesn't really matter whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. Basically, the economy is what's going to keep us strong. And U.S. consumers, when they want something, they buy it. All right. So that powers our economy. We have efficient transfers of capital. So if someone wants to buy something and it can be improved upon and built upon, people are going to invest in that and make money. So. I don't think it's very important at all. You know, I, I've been I've been in this business for almost 50 years. And I've had Democrats and I've had Republicans. And the 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 stock market has done equally as well with Democrats as it has with, with Republicans, believe it or not. And that is true. So I'm not at That all is true. And that's one of the benefits. Um, you know, I'm a, a history geek as well as a financial geek. And you know, part of the reason that I appreciate my interest in history is it gives perspective, you know, and oftentimes people will say, well, it's never been this bad. 
and I'll think, well, you know, I just read a book about mm -hmm. X and X and X, and that seems pretty awful. It gives perspective because this notion that a president's going to come in and everything is going to get ruined to the point that it'll never be able to recover is often talked about, but rarely if ever happens. Now, maybe this time is different and uh, that could be, but if you're playing the odds and you're using history as a guide, those emotional fears need to be checked against intellectual rigor and using history as a guide. And if you do that, that tells you that you should be aware that things may change, things may shift, rotate, different policies, different rhetoric. I mean, things are going to change. But I agree with you, the risk that everything goes to blank in a handbasket because we have a, a different president, um, I, I don't subscribe to. And I don't subscribe to it when it's my person that wins. And I don't subscribe to it when it's uh, the person that I didn't vote for either. I am very equal on this subject. So uh, Dean, thank you so much for chatting with me about these different topics. Hopefully during the year, I could bring you back on and we could kick around some more ideas and uh, check in and see how things are unfolding this year. You're on board for that, right? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Anything I can do to help you and your clients, uh, I'm in. Thank you so much. And uh, listeners, please subscribe to Simply Financial Podcast if you haven't already. Uh, I would appreciate that. Additionally, if you could recommend to friends, family members, coworkers to check out the podcast, I would also appreciate that a great deal. Lastly, I mentioned the work we do here at Elliott Wealth Management Services. I'm a certified financial planner. If you're listening to this and you're not a client, please check out our website. It's www.elliottwealth.com. And you could find more information about the work we do with our clients to help them win with money. And you could contact us through the website if you wanted to have a personal conversation with uh, one of us here at Elliott Wealth Management. And uh, I appreciate you listening and I'll be back on the next episode of the Simply Financial Podcast very soon. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of SagePoint Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial.